This is episode four of the Prepper website podcast. Today we are looking at articles that deal with off-grid refrigeration, radiation exposure, the most important gun to own and why, and medicines for when the poop hits the fan. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All articles, links, and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. So let's go ahead and get started. This first article is entitled, Off-Grid Refrigeration, Creating an Ice House in Winter. And it comes to us from Ready Nutrition. So let's go ahead and start reading this. It's a short article. Those who plan to create ways of off-grid refrigeration usually plan to build when the snow thaws, but I'm doing something a little different. I'm planning on building one now. The main problem for me right now is that I have four feet of snow on the ground, and it's a little hard to do a layout of any kind of excavating for it. But what of it? That doesn't mean I can't plan now, nor undertake it before the winter months disappear. Off-grid refrigeration. Ice houses were used extensively in the U.S., especially in pioneer days, where there would be the main way of keeping meats and vegetables cool and refrigerated in a manner to not require canning, smoking, or drying them. These ice houses were combined with root cellars, canning cellars to be structures heavily insulated with earth to keep everything cool and from spoiling in the spring and summer months. I also mentioned an icebox, meaning a refrigerator that was not dependent upon electricity, but had a large block of ice inside of an insulated box that kept the food inside cool and from spoiling prematurely. For those without enough property or in an urban-suburban area, an icebox might be a good thing to have, at least as a backup for the refrigerator. If you have a little bed of ground, then you may be able to build an ice house. I plan on beginning mine about the end of March to the beginning of April. See, living in Montana where there are no building codes in rural areas, I'm not hindered by the need for permits or the usual parade of bloodsuckers from local or state governments or neighborhood incarceration hood is more appropriate associations. Thus, the benefit of living in a remote state. I can build whatever I want and nobody can say anything to me. Use this easy method to make large blocks of ice. If you don't have this, then you'll have to negotiate around whatever uh, primates are blocking your path and secure whatever permits you believe necessary if you want it done. I'm going to wait until the time I mention and then clear out the ground and the snow, use a sea to dig a miniature backhoe, the ice house out, and then build it during the winter months. The reason is that I will make about a dozen and a half molds to fill with water for my ice blocks using large bins. When the water freezes and huge blocks of ice are made, I will then place them inside of my ice house and cover them up with lots and lots of sawdust. Each block will have about 20 gallons of water, and this will be at 7.6 pounds per gallon, about 150 pounds apiece. A lot easier to let the winter freeze up those blocks. I plan on placing in a drain I plan on placing in a drain in the into the floor a PVC drain tile with a small slope and then tamping the earth back into place. Then I'll separate the main chamber for the canned goodies 
from the ice chamber in the rear and slightly lower than the main room, stacking the blocks up and then covering them all with sawdust. It would adhere to time-honored principles of the frontier days. It will keep all spring and summer and have to be replaced in the fall. It's below freezing here in September. We only have about three to four months without ice and snow. I'm going to use the earth and rocks excavated and then mound it up as most of the efficient design I have seen are with rounded or semi-rounded forms tops. The only true modern accruements I plan on having are a good door and door frame that is sturdy and I'm considering some kind of interior flooring system. Any suggestions or personal experiences? We'd love to hear them and perhaps you'll be able to float me some information I can use. I have a few not-so-near neighbors that are diabetics and use insulin. What could be better than being able to preserve their insulin for them in my ice house if the SHTF and and they lose electricity? An ice house or ice box for you and your family may be a good thing to do to enable that your refrigeration lasts beyond the lifetime of the power plants and power stations. If the SHTF bottom line, do what you can with what you have, Better to get into the batter's box and take a swing than not to take a chance. Keep fighting the good fight. So definitely uh, those of you that are living up in the northern areas of the United States, or I know there's people listening from other countries as well, if uh, you have those cold winter months, uh, definitely this is something you can do. For those of us who live in Texas, uh, we're going to have to do something different. Definitely probably smoking our our meats and, and going with beef jerky and uh, other ways of, of uh, you know preserving because there's just no way that uh, a nice house like this would work here. But anyway, something interesting, something to think about. Um, definitely don't want to lose those old ways, those old pioneer ways. Um, those are, are uh, definitely interesting uh, things to know and uh, to be able to do if you really, really needed them. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next article. The next article comes from Urban Survival Site, and the title of this article is Seven Tips for Surviving Radiation Exposure. All right, let's go ahead and read this one. The world is making an increasing move towards sustainable energy sources like nuclear power, and while it's reported a lot safer than in the years of the Chernobyl disaster, 1986, exposure to radiation is still a concern for many. Radiation leaks at Japan's Fukushima plant, the country's number one producer of nuclear energy, has put radiation and safety under the spotlight again. Here's what you should know. How exposure happens. Radiation exposure can happen in a number of ways. Nuclear war is the obvious Hollywood answer, but radiation exposure can also originate from a nuclear leak at a power plant coming into contact with radioactive waste materials or radiation in the environment. This can become a serious concern if you live in the vicinity of a nuclear plant or nuclear power plant, for example. Sometimes exposure is obvious and sudden, like in the event of an accident. Other times, people can be exposed to microdoses over a long period of time and not know there's a problem until they start showing symptoms. For overall safety, this article covers both. It's important to note that exposure through x-rays are generally not considered dangerous. Number one, recognize the symptoms. The first step is recognizing the symptoms of radiation sickness, also called acute radiation syndrome. Radiation exposure is measured in grays, 
and people will start showing the first symptoms of mild radiation sickness once they hit a level of one gray. It goes without saying that the higher the exposure or the, or the longer the period of time, the worse the symptoms and less likely the recovery. Symptoms of ARS include nauseous, vomiting, headaches, confusion, and disorientation, fever, and overall fatigue. With severe forms of exposure, you'll also spot symptoms like infections throughout the body, hair loss, slowed healing of injuries, a drop in blood pressure, and blood and vomit in stools. Number two, have an emergency plan. Your grandparents were right about a lot of things, but especially this. It's always better to be prepared. Find out if your state has a formal plan in place in the event of a large-scale nuclear disaster or leak and familiarize yourself with it. In addition, you want to set up an emergency plan with your family, friends, and community should such an event occur. Make sure everyone knows decontamination procedures, has access to important contact information, and knows where to find any crucial survival items. For many people who live near nuclear reactors, there's already a solid emergency plan in place should an accident happen issued from the reactor's governing body, uh, reactor's governing body themselves. Google is your friend. Number three, your disaster kit. The Centers for Disease Control recommends an emergency supply kit containing the basics of at least a three-day food and water supply. When it comes to food, things that can be stored for a long period of time and prepared without much effort is ideal. Cans and dry foods. Don't forget the obvious, a can opener. Medical supplies go without saying, and this will likely be tailored to your family's needs beyond the basics. Does everyone have a chronic medical condition? The CDC also recommends multi-purpose tools, a radio, a phone with extra charger and a flashlight, extra money, maps, and duplicate keys. Don't forget your pets in your disaster plan either, and the same preparation applies for them. See the full article on the CDC's website here. Number four, purchase a decontamination kit. Especially if the danger of a nuclear leak is imminent, you might want to consider getting yourself a radiation decontamination kit. There's one available for order from Biodex over here. It includes, among other things, two disposable coveralls, shoe covers, and respirators, a gallon of radiwash, radiac wash towelettes, radiac wash spray mist, a sponge, mop, scrub brush, rope, and signs. Number five, first steps, your safe house. In many cases, it's safe to stay right where you are and wait it out rather than try to evacuate and rush into the danger. If you're staying where you are, it's recommended that you take measures to seal up the shelter immediately. If there's a basement, it's logical to take shelter there. Close all the doors and windows and use duct tape and plastic sheeting to seal windows and doors, but keep in mind that you don't want to die from oxygen starvation either. Turn off fans and air conditioning. The Connecticut Department of Public Health shows you exactly how to seal doors and windows here. Cut sheeting sick six inches wider than you need and tape corners first. Number six, eternal decontamination. Think of pretty much every apocalyptic movie you've ever seen, including Stephen King's The Mist. Step one is to remove and discard your clothing. If possible, take a shower. Running water, even tap water, is one of the first steps to removing external radiation from the body. Then, Keep dressed in other clothing, which should always be part of your disaster kit. It's recommended that you discard the clothes that might have come into contact with radiation as well as any clothes you might have used to clean yourself off. Number seven, internal decontamination. 
With radiation exposure, there's also the chance that you will have to decontaminate your body internally. Remember, one of the criteria for radiation exposure is that it's absorbed externally but penetrates internally. The thyroid gland is especially vulnerable to radiation exposure and symptoms will likely show there too. Make sure you've got potassium iodide tablets around. This reduces the amount of radiation that the thyroid will take in. It's important to mention that KI or potassium iodide can be dangerous if taken in cases of no radiation. So check this with your doctor first and be absolutely sure that you have been exposed. A surefire way is your standard Geiger counter. Many foods also naturally contain potassium iodide. While the levels naturally occurring in foods won't be enough to decontaminate, it certainly can't hurt to add them to your diet anyway. Do you have any advice or personal experience to share regarding radiation and radiation exposure? Please let us know. As a last note, of course, stay safe. All right, so just on that last paragraph there, you know, check with your doctor. Of course, if you're using potassium iodide or you feel you need to start taking that, you're not going to have the ability to go talk to a doctor before you do that. But anyway... Um, you know, it, when you when you think about radiation exposure, you know, I just I just saw or read an article, and uh, there was a bore, uh, and after all these years, I think it's like 30 years after the Chernobyl accident in Russia, they're still finding radiation. So this bore, you know, still has uh, radiation in you know in it. So I, I mean, I think that's pretty pretty crazy, and we still have um, we have no idea. No idea whatsoever what Fukushima is going to do. Um, there, we know that it's it's getting into you know to, into the to the sea to the ocean. We know that you know fish are coming up. There's traces of it all over the place. We and so we know that it's there's damage. We just don't know how widespread it is. And so that's something to uh, definitely keep in mind as we move forward. All right, let's go ahead and go to the next article. This comes to us from Survival Sullivan, and the article's title is The Single Most Important Gun to Own and Why. You know, when we talk about uh, guns, there's so many different opinions on there, and uh, so uh, this will be an interesting one for you. If you could only own one gun, which one would you choose? A handgun, a shotgun, a defensive rifle, a hunting rifle. Obviously, it only makes sense to want to purchase the most important gun to own first. You never know when a grid-down disaster will happen, so disaster may very well strike before you finish building your arsenal. In this article, I'll, I'll reveal what the most important type of gun is, the reasons behind that, and the quality you need to look for in a model of that type. The pistol over the shotgun. If you ask gun owners or survivalists what they feel the most important all-around gun to own is, the most common answer you will likely get is a pump-action shotgun in 12-gauge or 20-gauge. There's no denying that a pump shotgun generally is a very versatile and practical weapon and belongs in any gun collection. When loaded with birdshot, it's an excellent weapon for clay shooting or bird small game hunting. Swap out those out. Swap out those out with buckshot and you have one of the most devastating home defense weapons you could ask for. If you opt to use slugs, you can use it for hunting bigger game such as deer and wild boar. There's just one thing that a shotgun can't do, 
and that is be concealed adequately on your person. Okay, you can hide a shotgun on if you're wearing a big heavy trench coat, but that's also going to be very suspicious doing that and attract unnecessary attention to yourself, not only from other civilians, but likely from law enforcement officers as well. The point is that you can't conceal a shotgun on you while you're going about your daily life. Sure, you can keep it in your car, but in the event of a robbery at a restaurant or grocery store, are you really going to be able to run out to the parking lot to retrieve it? Most likely not. This is why the shotgun is not the single most important gun to own. Instead, the most important gun to own is a pistol, and specifically a semi-automatic that can be easily concealed on your person. Why a pistol? First of all, there are many limitations to a pistol that detractors to this argument will bring up. Pistol rounds can be substantially underpowered compared to rifle rounds and have less velocity coming out of the shorter barrel. But you can hunt all kinds of game with any caliber of handgun. There are all kinds of hunting you can do with handguns. Jerry Musilek shot a 1,000-yard shot accurately with a 9mm Smith & Wesson revolver. I don't care who you are, if you are a human, and if you get hit with that bullet, you can die. Maybe everyone can make this shot. Maybe everyone can't make this shot, but this shows it's possible. Limitations are in the shooter, not the gun. World record shot here. So um, the article does link to that 1,000-yard uh, shot, and it's a, it's a pretty cool video. You need to go check it out. Um, he gets it on the second shot. Uh, I know it's a spoiler there for you. He gets it on the second shot, but what I think is very interesting is he's setting up to do the third shot when he hears uh, the bullet hit, and um, it, it hits a balloon on the, at, at 1,000 yards. So um, it, it's crazy, crazy shot, and they've got two cameras, one on the balloon and one on the shooter. And then uh, he also has another one, uh, Bob uh, Munden, uh, the impossible 200-yard shot, and he shoots that with uh, a 38 snub nose. So uh, again, two. They're very short videos, but you know, kind of cool just to watch. I know people are gonna uh, like it. Any firearms enthusiasts are, have probably seen those maybe before, but uh, nice ones to, to look at. All right, so let's go ahead and continue on. The fact that you can easily conceal a handgun on your person outweighs any negatives, but in your everyday life and in a SHTF disaster scenario. In your everyday life, the time where you need to use your gun will happen when you least expect it or want it. It will take you completely by surprise and you will need to act within seconds. If you do indeed need to use your weapon for self-defense, it always, it's always going to be easier to reach for the gun under your shirt than it is to run out to your car to grab a long gun. By then, it could be too late. In other words, you can take your pistol with you wherever you go, which is an advantage over a shotgun or a rifle. At home, you can keep your pistol strapped to your side at all times. There have been many stories of how people will, will keep a defensive shotgun or rifle in a closet or gun safe, but are then attacked by burglars at the front door and are unable to access that shotgun or rifle. In contrast to this, with a pistol, all you have to do is drop your hand down to your hip, draw the weapon, and fire. So in a way, a pistol is a more convenient home defense weapon than a 12-gauge shotgun is. In any kind of disaster, whether it is terroristic attack, economic collapse, 
power grid down, or a natural disaster, the pistol will be the most important firearm to have in an SHTF scenario. Again, you can easily conceal a pistol on your person under your shirt or jacket so that you are reasonably armed without anyone noticing. If dangers arise and you are attacked by raiders or marauders, you can then quickly draw your pistol to defend yourself and your family instead of having to run to where you keep your long gun. What is the best pistol to own? Now that we have established why a pistol is the most important firearm you can own, you might be wondering what the best ones are. The most versatile is a compact 9mm double stack pistol. Let's talk about why that is. First of all, you should opt for a semi-automatic over a revolver. Semi-autos hold far more bullets in the magazine and reload faster. In a defensive situation where you have multiple attackers coming at you, having 15 or so rounds in your magazine will be better than having 5 or 6 in a cylinder. It takes far less time to slam in a new magazine and rack the slide than it does to swing out the cylinder, eject the spent shells, load in new shells either individually or with a speed loader, and close the cylinder again. The pistol is simply a more advanced design than the revolver and better suited for the 21st century. Secondly, your semi-automatic should ideally be chambered for 9mm over other popular calibers such as 40 Smith & Wesson or 45 ACP. There are a couple of reasons for this. 9mm is far cheaper and more plentiful than either of those two options, so you'll save quite a bit of money in stockpiling ammo. This also makes the 9mm a more appealing option for those on a budget. The 9mm also offers less recoil than 40, uh, 40 caliber or 45 caliber ACP, and since it's smaller in size and diameter, you can pack more bullets in each magazine. While the 9mm FMJ is not the ideal pistol round for self-defense, with the jacketed hollow point self-defense loads, it offers plenty of stopping power. You should also aim to make your 9mm pistol a compact double stack model similar size to the Glock 19. This way, your pistol will be small enough to conceal on your person and yet offer enough firepower to defend you against multiple attackers. Double stack magazines always hold more rounds than single stacks do. Examples of specific pistols that fit this, these criteria include the Glock 19 or 26, Walter PPQ, Taurus PT-111, G2, Smith & Wesson M&P Compact, the Bursa Thunder 9mm Compact, Ruger SR9 Compact, Beretta 92FS Compact, Beretta PX4 Storm Compact, and the Sig Sawyer P320 Compact. When selecting a specific pistol to buy, the best piece of advice can be given is to go to your local sporting goods store and hold several models in your hand. Just because one particular pistol is ergonomic to someone doesn't necessarily mean that it will be for you as well and you'll never know until you actually hold them. Conclusion Is the pistol the only gun that you should own? No. Guns are like tools in a toolbox meaning there is no one gun that does everything for you. But, if you can only own one gun, it should be a pistol. The very fact that you can easily conceal pistols on you and travel with it will be a very big advantage in your day-to-day -day life and in a disaster grid-down situation. Alright, so um, a lot of things to consider there. And of course, firearms are just so many different opinions there. But... Um, 
things to consider there. And so you definitely you can go over to Survival Sullivan if you want to join in the conversation. I know that there's some comments there that you can add to and check out. All right, um, let's go ahead and go to the next article. And this is coming to us from the Prepper Journal. And I, um, I really debated about posting this one or uh, reading this one um, because it's kind of like an ad at the same time you provides information. And so it's, uh, it's written, it's a guest post written by a guy named, um, or he's calling himself the survival doc. And he's, um, he is a, a doctor, uh, a real MD, and he's providing a service of, of medicine. Uh, he talks about concierge services. Um, so I guess you can, you know, call him up or you can order medicines online. So it's kind of an ad. I'm not going to go into all the specific ad information. Um, there's really not in this article, but I'm not going to go link to it and uh, go check that out before that. But it, there is information here and things that we should be considering. Medicine is cheap now. It's good to have it right now so that if there is a situation where you do need it, um, that you do have it. And so, I mean, that's kind of why I, I want to talk a little bit about it and uh, bring this up. So you can kind of, um, you know, you do your own uh, walkthrough on this one and, and think about, you know, if this is something you, you really care about or not. And then you can also visit the Prepper Journal if you wanted to see that, that link. <clears throat> but let me go ahead and start uh, reading this one. So let's get right down to business. Uh, when TSHTF, there will be no time to plan things out. There are no apps to give you notice for this event, so those who are prepared will be ready. Can TSHTF and when this will happen? Obviously, no one knows, and for God's sake, we all hope that the day never comes. This is not fear-mongering, rather a calculated risk that even the most conservative consider possible and someday inevitable. This thought was enough to motivate an old-school primary care doc like me to do something. I created the survival doc division of my medical practice. My objective was to make sure people have a personalized supply of medicines to protect them from common medical conditions that can lead to death, if not treated early and properly. <clears throat> During my residency training years in New York and Hartford, Connecticut, my teachers would use a classic pearl during rounds. Common things are common, so when you hear hoofbeats, think of horses, not zebras. Let's talk about horses. When TSHTF, you better have the basics covered. That includes a supply of medications for common medical issues. Next, you better understand how to use them. For infectious diseases to, to deadly systemic reactions, you will need to be prepared. Flu to systemic allergic reactions, I will discuss common yet potentially deadly medical conditions and top seven medicines that can protect you from getting sick uh, when or WTSHTF. Starting from the crown, a common cold, also known as upper respiratory infection, can lead to bacterial bronchitis, which can end up as a deadly bacterial pneumonia. The flu can kill rapidly as it can lead to a viral pneumonia and overwhelm the immune system via a cytokine storm. Pneumonia is a common lung illness and rates are greatest in child, children younger than 5 and adults older than 75. Anyone with heart or lung diseases is, is at greater risk for pneumonia. 
the best protection against pneumonia is to get vaccinated if you are at risk and to receive early and appropriate medical treatment. Side note, I know a lot of people uh, listening are probably going to disagree with that one. All right, continuing on. Treating the flu with antiviral medications within 48 hours, in addition to treating a bad cold that has led to a bacterial bronchitis at the appropriate time, can be truly life-saving events. If, in fact, you end up with a pneumonia, you better have a broad-spectrum respiratory antibiotic at your fingertips. WTSHTF and you are your honey are bumbling around the basement trying to secure the necessities to hunker down and suddenly discover that in all the chaos you have a significant laceration on your lower leg. This simple cut can lead to a bacterial skin infection called cellulitis and over only a few days can lead to a serious to, to serious trouble. This type of infection is seen every day in walk-in clinics throughout the United States and in most circumstances does not pose any threat because of early and appropriate antibiotic treatment. First-line treatment for cellulitis is usually a beta-lactam antibiotic called a cephalosporin. Having the right type of antibiotic is crucial and can definitely make the difference between life and death. Having a medication on hand based on personal history with an expert internist who understands and has experience with treating common medical conditions that can hurt you is key. From true drug allergies to a thorough history of your medical condition and even details regarding if and how long you were hospitalized in the past are very important factors in deciding exactly what antibiotic you will need to treat this and other specific medical conditions, WTSHTF. Remember, we are still talking horses. These are very common medical conditions that can lead to death if not treated appropriately and early. If TSHTF and you find yourself in a region that has infectious agents that can cause diarrhea, you better have antidiarrheal and antibiotic medications on hand and understand when and how to use them. Educating people on this is quite simple when talking to an experienced internist. Doctors at travel clinics around the world have been giving travelers prophylactic antibiotics for potentially dangerous diarrhea for years. Why wouldn't you have these life-saving medicines in your armamentarium for WTSHTF? Again, having spent time reviewing your medical history, medications, and drug allergies with an expert physician and having a personal supply of personalized medications on hand prior to interfacing with any serious illness is going to be your best chance of surviving WTSHTF. Are you or someone you love prone to urinary tract infections or UTIs? A simple UTI can be very uncomfortable and is easy to treat with the course of an appropriate antibiotic. If not treated properly, simple UTIs can lead to a bacterial infection of the kidney called uh, pyelonephritis. All right, so it's those darn medical terms again are going to get me <clears throat> every single time. All right, if this is not treated aggressively in the early stages, it may have to be treated in the hospital setting with intravenous broad spectrum, spectrum antibiotics. When these bacterial infections of a kidney or even an aggressive UTI are not treated appropriately and early, they can lead to urosepsis an overwhelming bacterial infection in the blood that can be deadly in many cases. Again, treating a simple UTI, UTI early with a specific antibiotic regimen based on your past medical and allergy history will be crucial to saving your life, WTSHTF. 
Anyone who has asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, knows that even a simple cold can be a nightmare. Treatment regimens for these conditions will require being prepared with antibiotics in addition to rescue inhalers and in many instances a course of corticosteroids, and I know I screwed that one up, prednisone will be required. I regularly provide my patients with enough of these medications so that if they are unable to get to the pharmacy or to see any doctor, they have enough of these life-saving medications to get through for at least a week. In the end, these are many medical issues. There, these are many medical issues that can arise when you are off the grid and when, or WTSHTF. For a severe case of poison ivy to a skin rash of an unknown cause or any systemic reaction to an allergen, having a medication called prednisone or on hand can make the difference between having a better quality of life to saving your life. Medical conditions that you will need in RX. Uh, or prescription. Upper respiratory infections, bacterial bronchitis and pneumonia that can lead to sepsis and will require an antibiotic. Flu can be deadly and can lead to a life-threatening pneumonia. Early treatment with an antiviral will be required. And let me just stop right here and also say you definitely, one of the things, I mean, he's talking about prescription drugs here. And definitely, again, like I said, he is wanting to, um, he's wanting you to go to his website and, you know, give, give your medical information and they'll, you know, I guess for payment, send you, uh, you know, certain, certain amount of drugs. Uh, I know that um, there's a lot of preppers out there that look to fish antibiotics and those kinds of things. But uh, in, after talking about the flu here, I'm just I'm remembering that Sambacol is a big deal, and so you should have some Sambacol on on hand with for any kind of you start feeling any kind of symptoms, flu-like symptoms, or or any of those kinds of symptoms, you should definitely be taking Sambacol. It is uh, it's uh, it's been known to to really help out in those situations. So uh, I I will link to that Sambacol there in the uh, in the show notes uh, so continuing on skin infections from cuts animal snake bites or any break of the skin that is worsening cellulitis will require an antibiotic severe skin reactions like poison ivy that need a local or, or systemic corticosteroid that one word again prednisone <clears throat> several i'm sorry severe diarrhea that requires an antibiotic traveler's diarrhea and bacterial food poisoning Urinary tract infections can lead to kidney infections and urosepsis will require an antibiotic. Respiratory emergencies, asthma attacks, and COPD that require a rescue inhaler and possible systemic corticosteroids. I think that's how you say that one. Systemic allergic reactions of any type that will require a corticosteroid prednisone. So life-saving RXs or prescriptions. Respiratory infection, personal antibiotic, Rescue inhaler and systemic corticosteroid. Corticosteroid. I guess that's right. Flu, uh, Tamiflu RX. Skin infection, a personal antibiotic. Skin rashes, uh, contact dermatitis, potential topical corticosteroid RX and prednisone. Prednisone, multi-purpose life-saving medications for many emergency medical situations. Traveler's diarrhea antibiotic, personal antibiotic. Urinary tract infection, personal antibiotic, systemic allergic reaction, prednisone, and EpiPen. 
So the seven medications for WTSHTF are based on personal review with an expert physician and will will cover antibiotic for a common bacterial bronchitis or community-acquired pneumonia. Erythromycin will be a good example for someone without an allergy to this medication. A full medical history and list of medications, including allergies to medication, is mandatory. Medicine for flu, typically Tamiflu, is used. Again, a full medical history and list of medications, including allergies to medications, is mandatory. Medicine for a broad-spectrum antibiotic for severe pneumonia, urinary tract infection, skin infection, or gastrointestinal bacterial infection. Levaquin is a great life-saving antibiotic for these medical situations. Again, a full medical history and list of medications, including allergic allergies to medications is mandatory. Medicine for a simple urinary tract infection or simple skin infection, cellulitis, Keflex or Cephalexin and Bactrim are two classic antibiotics used regularly for these medical conditions. Again, a full medical history and a list of medications, including allergies to medication, is mandatory. A rescue inhaler, a a bronchodilator called Abuterol comes in a handheld inhaler ready to use on the spot. Again, a full medical history and list of medications, including allergies to medication, is mandatory. Epinephrine autoinjector called EpiPen is a, medic- is a must for any medical allergic emergency. Again, a full medical history and list of medications, including allergies to medications, is mandatory. So, tapered dose of oral glu- glucocorticoid steroid called prednisone. This is one of the most important and universal life-saving medications known to man. Again, a full medical history and a list of medications including allergies to medication is mandatory. To summarize this article, there are a limited number of common medical issues that can lead to varying degrees of illness and death if not treated early. Understanding these conditions and having these medications on hand before WTSHTF can definitely save your life. No one would argue this, so see an expert physician or the survival doc before WTSHTF. Stay strong, healthy, and prepared. So again, um, as I finish this article, I mean, you understand why I was kind of hesitant. It's it's a big advertisement for uh, going and, and getting these medications through this guy, but it is things that we should be considering and things to to remember. I know one of the 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 first things that my, and I've talked about this before in other podcasts, uh, when I've done other podcasts, the, the thing that kind of got my wife into prepping is we saw after Armageddon. Um, uh, and that's, that's the one, uh, I can't remember exactly who put that one on. I don't think it was Nat Geo. Um, maybe it was Discovery Channel. But you can find it on, um, on YouTube, and I've linked to it on some of my articles on Ed That Matters. Actually, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, so that you can kind of get a, a, a quick look at that one. But uh, on that one, there's a, a big, whatever, uh, pandemic that causes everything to kind of break down. And the guy, um, the main guy that, that the show follows, winds up dying because of a small little cut because it gets an infection. And so, uh, you know, we sat down and we watched that one. That kind of got my wife to thinking that prepping, you know, uh, isn't that big of a, uh, isn't that bad of an idea, right? So anyway, so there are things out there. We know those of you that are have been prepping for a while, 
there's a lot of natural remedies that you would be using, a lot of things out there that you would have in your garden, herbs, essential oils, those kinds of things. Um, so you can come take a look at this article and uh, link to that survival doc if you want. But definitely, you know, you sh the the point is is that um, in a situation, an emergency situation, there are things that are going to come up, and you need to be able to to deal with them in one way or the other. So thinking it through and having a plan is always something good. You know, I again, I recommend. I'm a big fan of Dr. Bones, and there's Amy at Doom and Bloom uh, dot net, and uh, their their um, book. The Survival Medicine Handbook. I think it's one of a kind. Uh, it's, there's a there's a reason why it's been on the bestseller on Amazon. You can I'm I'm linking to it on the show notes, but there's a reason for it because it has such great information. All the other things that are out there always are trying to get you to get you well enough or safe enough to get you to transport you to um, medical facilities. And their thinking, their their mind is uh, if there's no other medical facilities or there's not a doctor around, what can you do? And they've really updated it. Um, you know, there's essential oils and natural herbs and stuff, uh, chapters on that. I've, I've done a review on that one before. But uh, definitely you should, if you don't have that book, that is a prepper book that everybody should have, right? The Survival Medical Handbook. Everyone should have that one without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, go get that from Amazon. So um, anyway, we've got these uh, these four articles. Again, visit these websites um, because they have um, links that you can go and you can check out other things, um, videos and graphics and, and things that you're not getting on the podcast. So you definitely want to go, go to that. And so if you go to the Prepper website, podcast.com, you can get to all these articles and link to them very easily. All right, well, that's it for this episode. Um, before I go... I can ask you for a huge favor. You can be a big, uh, you can be very instrumental in helping get the word out about this podcast, this new podcast, this new venture, uh, by going to iTunes or Stitcher and, and leaving a review. That always helps in the search uh, indexes when when uh, an, a podcast has reviews. So that would be very helpful if you would do that. And then, of course, um, you know, just the word of mouth, and if you could share out uh, our link that would be great made it very easy for you i've got links to itunes and stitcher and i've got um i've got links to uh, being able to share it all out all over social media and, and things like that on the website and uh so again don't forget to you know stop by the the website and drop me a line uh a line or two in the comment section or you can also hit me up on facebook twitter and instagram and so with that, I'm going to be back again tomorrow with other great articles to share. And uh, don't forget, if you uh, if you have uh, more of a preparedness desire and you want to go read some, some good articles, go on over to PrepperWebsite.com for a bunch of other articles that you can read. So until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.